You know, today is Mother's Day, and I'm thinking about one of the most incredible mothers that, uh, that I know and that I know of. And, you know, that is a woman by the name, if you will, of Coretta Scott King. Come on, somebody. Coretta Scott King was born uh, April 27th, uh, so pretty near to now, 1927, in the state of Alabama. Not only that, I mean, as you, uh, this was the wife of the late, great Martin Luther King Jr. And I just think about this amazing woman, this amazing woman, and, and the fact of the matter is that after she, after she got to the place where she, um, where she, you know, where her husband was assassinated, you know, he was assassinated doing what it was that was both of their passion, because many people don't know, uh, but Coretta Scott King was already involved in civil rights and things of this nature, even prior to connecting with her husband. And after this, she brings her four children. I can't imagine, just even as a mom, her four children, she brings them uh, to have to take them to Memphis for her husband's funeral. And asked that the casket remains open so they could come and she could explain to them why her, their dad was no longer going to be coming home with them. And it's nuts because he was supposed to have a march there in Memphis. And, you know, even right after, within this similar proximity of time, she takes, she is the one that leads this march that her husband has planned to lead along with her children. And so her children are involved. I love it. You know, an incredible mother is one that doesn't just realize or think that the vision of the house is for the adults. But it's amazing to see when uh, adults and when moms are able to galvanize their family around the vision of the house. And so this is something where, you know, even after her husband passes away and the vision is still alive, her desire and her heart was to find somebody to be able to take away, to, to be able to, uh, to, to take over and grab the post that was necessary for the vision to continue. But after many others declined, although she's a mom of four, she decides that she is going to take on this vision. And she decided she would take this vision on as a solo mom and continue to lead this charge. And she goes on and she is someone that ends up founding the Martin Luther King Jr. Center uh, and, you know, for social change in Atlanta. And she became the president and ends up traveling as a mom with four children. She travels to India. She travels to Italy. She travels to England where she became the first woman to preach a sermon at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And then she ends up expanding her work and does mighty things. You know, I know all of this stuff about this incredible mother, Coretta Scott King. But how many of you know that, you know, if I showed up uh, around her, come on, somebody. And I was like, yo, Retta. She'd be looking at me like, who on earth are you? I could have marched. I could have been inspired by her. I could know what her hair color is. Come on, somebody. I can know every single thing about her. I know all these deets that I just shared with you. I can know everything of that there is to know about Coretta Scott King. I can watch all her speeches. I could share verbatim and, you know, or li and line for line in regards to the things that she shared. You know, I could have been inspired to go out and pick it and get in the march and do all that. But the fact of the matter is there's a difference from me knowing her and us knowing one another. Uh, somebody's gonna see where I'm going in a minute. There's a difference. There's a difference between us knowing her. There's some of y'all, that's the way you are in the beehive. Come on, somebody. And I just talk about the beehive. You're willing to go to blows for Beyonce. You're willing to go to fights in the chat. Can I talk about it? People, you're willing to get your hair pulled out and all sorts of stuff, arguing about, you know, her and who she is and how cool she is, all that. And you show up and she's gonna look at you like, who are you? Because even though you can know about her, come on somebody, don't mean that your knowledge about her is the fact that 
That doesn't mean that she has a knowledge or is in relationship with you. Are y'all tracking with me on this morning? Here we go. And so I want to just on this Mother's Day bring the plane down for a landing, if you will. I want to talk about uh, grace a little bit deeper and just deal with some hard thoughts around grace. And some questions that some of y'all are thinking because we started out this party talking about the grace of God and especially focusing in on the saving grace of God. Somebody say the saving grace of God. Remember I shared with you and told you that saving grace, saving grace uh, is, that grace rather is a multifaceted thing. We talked about Swiss army knives and how in, that is exactly how grace is. Grace, there's saving grace that pertains to our salvation, but not only is there saving grace, but there is also, there is also uh, empowering grace. We learned about strengthening grace, grace to get us through when God says no, grace that empowers us the, to to carry out what God has put us in the planet to do as Pastor Michelle and, and, and Pastor McCare and others have shared. And so it's been powerful, these concepts around grace. And some of you, especially in week two, when we were talking about this idea of saving grace and the security that comes from grace, eternal security, somebody say eternal security. As we were talking about eternal life and I was telling you that when someone is saved, they're saved. And salvation is not an on and off switch. It's not something like you're saved today then you're not saved tomorrow if you mess up or whatever the case is. That's not the way it works. If your salvation was based upon your works, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to work. And so the fact that many of us believe that our salvation somehow is based upon what we do even after we have put trust in what Jesus has done is an insult to the Savior and it flies in the face of everything that God has done to earn and pay for our salvation. Are you with me? And so we are ones that can have assurance of salvation. But then the question becomes someone saying, well, you know, okay, well, what about the person what about the person who, you know, professes Christ and says, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and you might have seen them in church or whatever the case is. Or you might have seen them, you know, pray the prayer when we, you know, when we pray the prayer at the end of service or you might see them get baptized or whatever. Can we just deal with this type of stuff today? And then they walk away. And it's like, man, see, they're unsaved. They got, sa they, they got unsaved. They were saved. Now they're no longer saved. Pastor, see, they, see, look, look, I know about uncle and them. I know about auntie and them. I know about all of this. So you can't tell me that salvation is permanent, even though the Bible talks about eternal life. And by definition, if something is eternal and it's given to you, if it stops, it wasn't eternal then. Because that's the definition of something that's eternal. He says that when you believe in him, you will never perish. If you give your life to him, if he's Lord of your life. And so someone's saying, well, what on earth? What are you trying to say? That person walked away. So God, they must have been known by God. They must have been in relationship with God. And then, you know, they went away from God. And I'm going to deal with some texts that seem to suggest this and help us theologically. But also my goal is to get us more fully, whether it be saving grace empowering grace or strengthening grace to make it through difficult times that we're able to stand secure with a focus on Christ and not to be deterred by thing by things and people or even ourselves and so the first thing I want to note is uh, here it is point number one if you can just put this in the chat especially dealing with saving grace and the security that is in Christ once we are saved this is why we can sing blessed assurance and not blessed guessing. Come on, somebody. Because we can be assured. I'm telling you, so many people talking about blessed assurance, inviting people to come and be a part, be a Christian, and you don't even know if you're a Christian. You don't even have security for yourself. Why would anybody want to be along to something that you don't even know if you have? And this is why Jesus tells us that we need to have the helmet of salvation. That's Ephesians chapter 6. It is the most important part of the armor to guard our minds and our hearts. So here's point number one for you. Not everyone who professes Christ is actually in relationship with him. Let me just start there. Not everyone who professes Christ is actually in relationship with him. So remember in week two I told you the question is not even about if we can lose our salvation. The more accurate question is can Jesus lose a Christian? Because the Bible says in John 10, 28, that he gives a sheep eternal, everybody say eternal, 
eternal life and they will never perish and no one will pluck them out of my hand. And then he goes on and says, no one will even pluck them out of the father's hand. They're in his hand and the father's hand, doubly secured in his hand. And so this is something that's powerful. So when someone is saved, they are saved. If Jesus gives you eternal life, you have eternal life. But the fact of the matter is that we live in a generation that is focused on telling people they're saved when in actuality, they don't even have a relationship with God. Note this. I want you to note if we can just start with our text here. And I want you to stay with me because this is going to be important for you. Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to be sharing some scripture. So grab a notepad. Make sure you take this stuff down. Because this is going to be ammo to secure you in your faith and fight against the enemy. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Notice, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. And I don't have time to get into all of what this entails. But on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? So he's saying the will of the Father in, that is in heaven, it might. Because you're thinking, immediately you think of work. So what are the things that I need to do then? What does this equal? And he says, look, it might look like the stuff that seems spiritual. He says, he says in this way, he says, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name do, and do mighty works in your name? So that's not even what he's referring to. His desire is for true trust and faith in the work of Christ. Come on, somebody. His desire is for true relationship with God. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, watch this, I knew you and then I forgot you. Oh my, this is the thing. This is what people don't realize. See, we be reading stuff into the text. See, no, he says, I never knew you, Redder. I never knew you. You see what I'm saying? We're acting like we, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. People that may come across and may act as if they are saved. That's why you never hear me up here telling people that they're saved. Because truly, you are the only one that knows if what is transpiring is genuine in your life. Come on, somebody. And the fact is, we got to stop decreeing and declaring and telling people, no, if they truly trust in the Lord. Come on he will give eternal life and we can have assurance of our salvation but truly the fact is we cannot look at people on the exterior and judge solely by that based uh, and determine whether they are saved or not Jesus says in the text he says I never knew you and so this is important for us to understand when we're talking about it. It's not about the fact that people lose salvation. It's about the fact that in many cases, there are people who have the appearance of godliness. And I'm going to show you in scripture, continue to do so, but actually have not been converted. And I want to challenge you in this regard. Here it is, Matthew chapter 24. If you will, write down this passage and I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read this. Matthew 24, verse 36 through 42. I want you to grab this and understand. Here we go. For the sake of time, I'm going to jump right in. But concerning that day and hour, no man knows. Speaking about Christ's return. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. There was, uh, the, and by that, because people read that and they're like, I thought Jesus was God. How does he not know? Well, it was referring to while he was on the earth and he bound himself to a human body, there were certain limitations that he uh, chose to walk in being fully God and fully man. And so in his humanity, there were things that were limited. And man, I'm not don't mean to be getting into a big theology lesson or Christology lesson, but I just want to encourage you when people say, oh he couldn't be God because he says he doesn't know well he was in the earth he also got tired he also had to eat he also had and so uh, so so this is in context of him being in the earth for in those days uh, as before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark so he's parallel paralleling the coming of Christ to the same thing as when Noah was on the earth and we know what happens with Noah only Noah and his family are saved in that moment uh, and everybody else is destroyed while they were doing whatever they wanted and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the son of man 
And then notice what he says. Then two men will be in the field. And I'm reading from the ESV. One will be taken and the other left. Here's verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill. Grinding. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay woke. For you don't know what uh, know on what day your Lord is coming. And so look, there's two sets of people. They're all doing the same stuff. That's what I'm saying. When you look on the outside, this is why man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Because you may look and see people doing the same thing. What was the difference between those people? They both visibly were doing the same thing. But it had to be something internal. Somebody isn't say it's an inside job. It was something that was internal that differentiated them from one another. This is why one was taken and the other was left. Come on, somebody. And the fact of the matter is you and I need to understand that just because you see people in church, just because they profess Christ, just because they do the works that seem like they are Christian does not mean that there has been an internal change, a true transformation. Just because they know everything about Jesus, people can even quote scripture. Oh my, can I just talk to the church today? Because we judge people's spirituality. We judge their potency based upon their knowledge. How many of you know that knowledge don't equal salvation? Knowledge doesn't always equal relationship. You can know Greek. You can know Hebrew. You can know Aramaic. You can go to school to learn that. You don't need to be a believer to do that. Come on, somebody. And we often will determine that based on people's knowledge or quotation of scripture or the way that they pulpiteer or the way that they act and declare themselves as a Christian that this means they are saved but the fact of the matter is it's an inside job so many are part of the visible church come on somebody but not the invisible church and so this is the thing because I want to, I want to just teach you this, some ecclesiology, meaning uh, things related to the church I want you to grab this and understand that many are a part of the visible church but not the invisible church. And so this is why a lot of times you have people that fall away and people that run away. And we look and we're like, oh, they're not saved anymore. Can might I suggest to you that many of these individuals, and I'm getting ready to show you, many of these individuals never truly were kept or in the hand of the Lord in the first place. They may have been a part of the visible church, but not the invisible church. What's the difference? What's the difference? The invisible church or church invisible, as is known theologically or ecclesiology, ecclesiologically, is the concept of an invisible Christian church. In other words, uh, it's made up of the elect, those who have been chosen by God, uh, who are only known, who are known to God. And this is in contrast to the visible church. That is the institutional body on earth which preaches the gospel and administers the sacraments like communion and baptism and things of this nature. Every member of the invisible church is saved. While the visible church contains some individuals who are saved and others that are unsaved. So the fact of the matter is when you see church... Many of us assume that just because people are part of the visible church, that that means that they're actually known by God or are connected to God. Oh, can I just teach this thing today? But the fact of the matter is just because people show up to a building or show up on a YouTube channel or show up in a life group does not mean that they are known by God and truly connected to God. Are you with me? In fact, the matter is John Calvin, one of the greatest theologians uh, and that ever lived, he declared and he said of this matter, just to, to, uh, to, to talk about, he says, in this visible church, there are, is a very large mixture of hypocrites who have nothing of Christ but the name and outward appearance. And this is why many people are led astray, watch this, and hurt and run away from church because they're like, I can't be a part of this church. Look at what this person did or what that person did or everybody's hypocrites. And so the, Jesus must not be real because if he was real, then things would be different and this wouldn't have happened and that wouldn't have happened. How many of you know that just because something happened by someone in the visible church does not mean that that person actually 
actually represents the invisible church and represents Christ. And so it's important to understand that there is a difference. I want to show you. Uh, can I show you if I can show you? Say, show me. Here we go, if you will. We're looking at Matthew chapter 13. Uh, what book did I say? Matthew. We're going to Matthew 13. And I want to, if you will, read from verses, uh, uh, read from verse uh, 13, if you will. Matthew chapter 13. No, no, no. I want to read from verse, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up here. But I want you to grab this and understand this. We're going to Matthew 13. I want you to understand the magnitude of what it is that Jesus is sharing. And so uh, from verse 3 is where I want us to read. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house, this is Matthew 13, verse 3, and went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, and that he got into the boat and sat down. And the Bible says, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them, that many, thing, told them many things in this parables, saying, a sower, somebody say, a sower. A sower, in other words, somebody that plants seeds, went out to sow or to plant. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came, watch this, the birds came and devoured them. I love the Bible. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. Somebody say rocky ground. Where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprung up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. Somebody say thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus talks about different types of terrain, which represent different uh, aspects or positions of our heart when the word, and in this sort of a sense, when the gospel, the good news, the saving grace of God goes out. And when the gospel goes out, it falls on different types of heart ground and depending on the condition of our heart it determines how we respond to what it is that we hear and also whether we have longevity or not but I specifically want to talk about if you will uh, if you look at this I want to talk about uh, on verse uh, 6 says but when the uh, actually no no, no we're going to go from verse uh, 5 other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Somebody say much soil. And immediately they sprung up. Someone say immediately. So immediately they sprang up uh, since they had no depth. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no roots, they withered away. Jesus goes on and he actually explains this. I want you to see this. He explains what this means. I want to look at verse 20 of that same chapter. And look at how he explains it. He says, as for the seed that was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word and immediately he falls away because he had no root. Oh, can I teach this thing? Because the fact is, a lot of times we think that people have had genuine conversion based on the level of their excitement. Uh, and we think that the word is efficacious in their lives based upon how they rejoice and how they joy. And I mean, even as a preacher, I am guilty of this at times based upon the way that people to respond to what is being said. And over the years, I've realized that sometimes I have preached to the deadest crowds where people have not said anything. But I've seen the most fruitful disciples come out of those environments. And so you cannot judge efficacy based on excitement. Oh, the Bible even says that in these last days, Paul tells Timothy that people will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Their desire will be for titillation and not transformation. And he makes it clear that this is what will transpire. And so he says this person did not have root in them. 
for excitement they sprung up and consequently when tribulation comes because of the word then they go away and so falling away is not about people losing salvation many times it's about the fact that the gospel that they heard what they heard was about a prosperity gospel oh Jesus Jesus is just going to do and I told you about genie Jesus last week Jesus is going to do everything for me that I want him to do and so they come money 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 and they come and they put trust in that and as a result when this transpires and when this happens when tribulation comes and then they declare oh you need to this is going to happen and that is going to happen when it doesn't happen they run away because oh that thing wasn't real because they trusted in what they wanted and not in the savior oh can i just deal with this heavy stuff today and so the fact is that this is imperative. There's many people who have professing relationship with Christ or profess Christ and know a lot about him, but don't actually have relationship with him. And he does not know them. And so that's important. It's not just about you knowing things about Jesus. It's about Jesus knowing you and being in relationship with you. Man, listen, I'm going to just let you know this right now. I'm at a stage in my life. I realize I had braids. I had a big old afro for a long time, fam. For years, from the time I moved here, I had hair. All my kids have had hair. My sons have cut it off, started, but I stayed committed to this thing, fam. And after some time, I decided, I'm like, okay, it's time for a shift. And then I went and I, I, uh, I, I, I shaved off my hair and I cut my hair low. And I realized, fam, hold on a second, a LeBron thing was starting to happen in my head front. My hairline started... <laughs> My hairline, I mean, my, my forehead, the thing is, I'll just tell you, I'll just keep it honestly. I make fun of, I challenge myself and I make fun of myself so people can't make fun of me that I already, you know. And so I know my forehead is already big, fam. It's not a forehead. Sometimes I look and it's like it's a five head, right? But the fact of the matter is that I realized that my hairline was starting to creep back. And you know what? I started, I went in, because see, the man, them, yo, honestly, the amount of money that it costs to get your hair cut I was like, nah, fam, I'm not paying that much money to get my hair cut. I cut my kids' hair, I cut my, my, and I cut my own hair and line up my hair. And I, I, I started getting up in the mirror, and I'm like, where I went to line up? I was like, man, it's not really any hair there. And so I started in the mirror, and I'm like, and I don't know if, if you've ever lined up your hair, one of the things that you find is that if your hair, if your head is really dry, <laughs> come on, somebody. It can act like there's a line there. And mans are feeling nice. Like, oh, okay, there's enough baby hair that's still there in order to. But then when you find out, yo, go outside and run, fam. Go to, go to the gym and then go back and look in the mirror. The line that you thought <laughs> was there was actually not there. It was just some dried up, crust up skin that happened to line up because the razor was sharp. But then you find out that no, actually it's not there. Can I just testify? And listen, I'm that person. I am not. Yeah, I know you feel me in the booth, uh, Brian. Here we go. And the fact of the matter is, listen, man, I'm not going to be George Jefferson. Let me just put it there. Like when my hair gets to a certain part, you're not going to see me. You know, I'm shaving that boy all the way off. I'm going to join. I'm, yes, yes, sir. I'm going to join the ball club. I'm not going there. But the fact of the matter is, oftentimes we get to the place where we are, where there is something that looks like it's there. Oh, my. But it's not actually there. Come on. Can I tell you this? Even to some of us, the appearance because of excitement. But you let some water begin to hit you. You let some floods and some rain begin to hit your life. Come on. The fact of the matter is one of the greatest tests of your true conversion is how you respond to the challenges of life. Oh my, do the challenges of life cause you to knock over? Because that will tell you, also in this Matthew chapter 7, that will tell you that you are bound and you are founded on sinking sand. But when you are truly a believer who has had a transformative experience and is founded on Jesus and his word, the Bible says that the winds and the rains can come and blow. It might knock out your house. Come on, somebody. It might knock out your windows, rather your roof might blow off come on the fact is there's windows that are cracked and the door might bust open but at the 
the end of the day because you truly are founded on the rock of Christ you will stay standing even in the midst and after the storm somebody that knows that Jesus is a keeper and when you stand on his word that you can know that you will endure till the end somebody ought to give him praise for his keeping grace oh my ain't no fake hairlines up in here when it comes to salvation because many of us that's what our salvation looks like i'm telling you man somebody come get me if i ever have a toupee up here y'all y'all don't know about those televangelist toupees up here acting you know the doo-wop and you just got the doo-wop and you got to like blow it up every night it's like fam how on earth did your no 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 no. we're not doing none of that and the fact of the matter is that's the way that many of us are in the spirit and that is not the desire with God and so the fact of the matter is I want you to understand here we go just to go a step further genuine Christians continue with Christ and his church so we're talking about enduring, enduring. Uh, the fact is one of the biggest signs of being a Christian and being kept by the Lord is that you endure, is that you stay with Christ and his church. And I'm not talking about the fact that there are times in rebellion when we rebel and we run away just like kids do. My kids rebel, but they still my kids. They never stop being my children. And those who are truly believers, they will go away. They might trip up. But guess what? They're just running. They're running in God's hand. But eventually, they will come back to relationship with the Lord. And, and, and it's just powerful or connection and fellowship with God. But genuine Christians continue with Christ in his church. Here it is. I want to show you this. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. So I want you to know this because I'm not just making this stuff up. We're not just out here, you know, shooting out from the left side of my head. I want you to see and understand this is what the Bible says. Look at what the Apostle John has to say. Verse 18 of 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19 says, uh, Children, it is the last hour. He was saying it back then. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists. Somebody say many Antichrists. Many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They, watch this, and this is how you know who an antichrist is. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, can I just check the text? They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This is what text says. So the Antichrist, we look, we're looking for the Antichrist, the man of sin, the, the figure that is coming one of these days, the Antichrist that is going to do all sorts of horrid things as we learned in our eschatology class at the end of last year, which I don't have time to get into now. But he says that there are, although we're looking for that guy, that there are many Antichrists, people that are opposing Christ, people that are not in relationship with Christ, people that are not truly for Christ. And he makes it clear and he says that these individuals, that if they were a part of them, they would have continued with them. But their going out made it manifest that they were not truly one of them. Oh, I'm teaching Bible. You ought to be excited about this stuff because this gives some explanation for some people who are always wondering and being willing to say, oh, somebody, you are insulting God when you are saying that someone that he has saved and is keeping, that they have, that he is, you're telling uh, him that he is incapable of being able to keep them effectively when you say that oh that person they have left or they have uh, lost their salvation fact of the matter is that if Jesus is keeping someone he is capable of doing so and he says that no one will pluck them out of his hand and so the fact is that people who are truly believers they remain with Christ they remain with Christ and they truly are a part of his church and when I say his church I'm not talking about your or my congregation not just talking about a specific church because you know a lot of people especially nowadays everybody's church is the right church and everybody's church everyone you know everyone else who's a part of another I'm not talking about local congregations where people are like oh if you leave this congregation you're going to hell no I'm talking about being connected to Christ and the church 
No matter what local church you truly are a part of or you are connected to. And so some people, when you're hearing this, they're like, well, and I can, can I just go a little sit, a step further? Someone's asking, well, you know, what about people who experience dementia or mental illness? And if you've met someone who, like our family, who has faced dementia or who battles mental illness in a position where, you know, they've trusted Christ and you know that grandma trusted Christ. Come on, can I just deal with it? And then later down the line, grandma's cussing out, cussing and talking crazy and out here saying stuff like, you know, nobody need church and who is this God? God is not here and starts getting upset and acting all mean to people and all sorts of stuff. Can I just keep it real? And the fact is, many people look and they're like, oh, so she, so grandma's not saved no more? Because now her actions may seem as if, no fam, that's not the way that it works. Aren't you glad that our salvation is not based upon our works? Come on somebody. And that if grandma truly has trusted in Christ, even if there are things that have attacked her body, that have caused her brain, which is a part of her body, to act in a certain way or a different way aren't you glad that her soul is saved and that she is secure in christ even though oh i just want to give some hope to somebody right now that she's a christian for many of you she was the one that led you to jesus and you're like man i look at her now and she's going to end up in hell. no grandma's not going to hell if she truly trusted christ if she was in relationship with jesus and she is known by god even if stuff is happening right now i am telling you there is hope not just for her but there is hope for people who have mental illness there are people that face and battle even people like myself if i can be transparent that battle because it's taboo especially in our community and i come against this stereotypical foolishness and let people know that even people People like me and people that may suffer with mental illness to various degrees and at different levels that there are people that battle mental illness who truly trust Christ and no matter all of the erratic nature of what's going on in their life Jesus still keeps them oh this is good stuff I want you to get this this is why an understanding of the permanency and sufficiency of God's saving grace in the lives of the elect is important it's so important in fact somebody right now if you will can you just go ahead in the chat and can we just take a moment and give God praise that he is able to be a keeping God come on just go ahead put some clapping hand emojis let's give the Lord praise for his keeping power and so then some people will say, well, next question around, like, what about scriptures that seem to suggest that people can lose their salvation or lose eternal life? One of the terms that people hear about and talk about often is falling from grace. Somebody say falling from grace. So this idea of, of falling from grace. And so people are like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, brother so-and-so, he fell from grace and he has gone back into the... And we use what Paul says where we're going now. Galatians chapter 5. I want you to go there. Write it down. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2 through 6. We use this verse out of context to be able to support this idea that is not even a biblical context. Look, here it is. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. He says in verse 2. He says, and in fact, you know what? And I want you to get this and I want you to understand this because it's important for us to be able to grab this. It's important because it is, it is important because there are many of us that are believing these various things and we are not, uh, we are not, we're not standing on what God's word says. We stand on what our denomination says or what we've heard through the generations, but it's not biblical. He says, look. I, Paul, say to you, verse 2, that if you accept circumcision. So there were a bunch of Jews that were running around telling people that in order for them to be saved, they would have to be circumcised. And he says, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Somebody say, no advantage. No advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So these Jews, these Judaizing Christians were running around telling people that they needed to be circumcised plus Jesus in order to be saved. And the apostle Paul is like, no, God's saving grace alone is sufficient for your salvation. And he goes on and he says that if you go... And you accept circumcision, 
in order to be saved, Christ is no advantage to you. It's like where, you know, you ever, maybe I'm the only person, but, uh, you know, anybody other than me, you ever tried to help somebody? And when you go to try to help them, you show up, you see them struggling, and then you run up to them and you're like, let me help you. And they're like, nah, fam, I got it. What happens is, am I the only person or, or somebody else other than me? What happens is that, that you now become of no advantage to that person. You're now of no advantage to that person, not because you're not desirous of it, but because that person has made the decision to uh, trust in themselves or their ability. Even though stuff is falling, they trust themselves. And so you become of no advantage. And then he goes on and he says that you're obligated to the whole law. Verse 4, here it is. You are severed from Christ. You're disconnected from Christ. And look at what he says. You who would be justified by the law. So he's saying, if you're someone who desires to be justified by the law, specifically speaking about circumcision, if you are that person, if you're someone who thinks that you can be made just before God by the law, he says, that person, you have fallen away from grace. In other words, you have not truly had an encounter with Christ. You have not had an encounter with grace. You have not truly, you've seen it. You have come up to it. Christ has presented it to you. But you have made a, desire, a decision to instead of put your trust in Christ, you have decided to put your trust in yourself. Namely in this passage, he's speaking about circumcision. And so he's saying, you who hope to be justified by the law, that person that person, Christ is no advantage for you. You came and you saw grace and you have fallen from it. You're not someone who has actually had it. Because look, he says, you who would be justified by the law. Which Romans chapter 3 verse 20. Go ahead and write Romans 3 verse 20. Romans 3 verse 20 and check this out. Notice what he says. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So he says, no human being will be justified by the work of the law. So this is the understanding when he's saying, you who are trying to be justified by the law, the falling from grace, if you have been saved, would only be applicable if you could be justified through the law. But he's saying the person who desires this, it's impossible. And you're severed from Christ. There is no, Christ is no advantage to you. You are fallen from grace. So this is not the understanding that we have when someone has received grace. And they have trusted Christ fully. And they are walking with him. And they have blessed assurance in Christ that now this person has something. They did something wrong. And they have fallen from grace. And now they're no longer a part. That's not what he's saying. He's talking to people who were trying to trust in themselves can I preach the Bible trying to trust in themselves for salvation Christ is no advantage to them so the fact of the matter is that this is important another verse that people take out of context in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 write this one down too Hebrews 10 verse 26 I know this ain't shouting stuff even though it should be to secure your faith but I want you to grab this and, and get this in your arsenal when people try to make you put trust in yourself. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And again, people say this so, okay, if you know about something and then you continue to go and you decide to uh, continue to go on sinning, then, you know, that means that, that now you're no longer saved anymore. That's not the context. The context, he's talking about the fact that priests used to go and do a whole bunch of stuff in the temple that could never actually take away sins. And he says that Jesus came and he gave himself once for all and made a sacrifice that lasts forever. This is powerful stuff. And he says that, the, that salvation in forgiveness of sins is made possible through that one sacrifice by Jesus. And now after you and I have a knowledge of all of this. And what Jesus has done for us, if we make the decision that when we encounter the gospel and we hear about the good news of Jesus, we decide that we're going to continue to go on sinning and say, forget this and F this and who cares about this and this don't make sense and whatever. There doesn't remain a sacrifice for us. 
And so it's important for us to understand that when there are scriptures that seem to contradict the eternality of salvation as the Bible teaches it thematically throughout scripture from the beginning to the end that we can never do anything to be saved and that once we are saved we are kept also by the grace of God. We're not kept by our works. We don't get saved and put a down payment down and then continue to have to make monthly payments. That's not the way salvation works. And so scriptures that seem to teach otherwise, we have to. You don't build an entire doctrine off one text when the entirety of scripture teaches something different systematically. You have to then take that passage or that scripture and read it in context or find out what it is that the writer is attempting, attempting to be able to share. And so point number one, I just got one more for you. Here we go. Grace, here it is with this in mind. So when we're talking about grace, point number, I just said point number one, I meant point number two. <laughs> point number two, not only are we to be to the place where we understand that not everyone who professes Christ is actually in relationship with him, we also need to realize and understand, here it is, grace should be, follow me, tested, requested, imparted, and multiplied. Here we go. Tested, requested, imparted, and multiplied. You know, the fact of the matter is first I want to start with tested. It's important. When you, the grace that you are saying you have received, this salvation that you say have you, that you've received, do you actually have relationship with God? Only you and God truly know. Are you actually following him as the Lord of your life for those who are professing to be saved? Is this grace that you receive pointing you to your works and pointing you to yourself? Or is it pointing you to Jesus and who he is? You know, uh, and maybe many of you, like, I, I'm one that buys, uh, you know, jewelry. I'll just make it clear. Not everything I wear uh, is from here. But a lot of times I'll buy some jewelry from Amazon. Come on, somebody. That prime will bless your life. And so the fact of the matter is uh, that sometimes stuff will look real but then it turns your ears green y'all don't know about the green ear turning stuff come on how about you know that watch that you know you oh man this is a great knockoff you know i'm gonna pay this money and people are gonna look and they're gonna be like yo this is they're not gonna see that it's uh gerberry and not burberry but you know you know what you paid for it you know not only what you paid for it but when it turns your wrist green or when you got a black mark on there come on somebody and so the fact of the matter is, it's imperative, it's imperative for us, the, the grace that you have, it should be tested. We should be individuals that know and that are careful to look. Here it is, this is something, if you grew up in church, especially in a West Indian church, you know you have heard them talk and say this every now and again. And many of us have absolutely no clue what it is that is meant. And so I want to I read this. Uh, uh, we're going to look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to read verse 5 through 11. Here we go. I'm going to jump into it again. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 through 11. He says, for, every, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted that he is blind. Is so nearsighted that he's blind. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his foreign his former sins now watch this here's verse 10 talking about tested therefore brothers be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election he says be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities you will never fall watch this so note this who grew up hearing older folks say make your calling and election sure 
You got to make your calling and election sure. In other words, he's saying that if you have truly been called by God to salvation because no one can come to me, Jesus says in John 6, 44, unless the father who sent me draws them. If you've truly been called by God, if you've truly been chosen and elected, remember, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's John chapter 15, verse 15 and 16. He talks about you didn't choose me. I chose you. So if you have been called, if you've been saved, if you've been elected by God to salvation and you truly have a relationship with him, he says, make your calling and election sure. In other words, check the mic. Check the mic to see if it's actually on. Because many of us, we're going through this life professing that we are Christians, but we're actually deceiving ourselves. And he says, here are some signs. Unless you are, uh, although you're not saved by your works, here are some things that are indicative if you truly are a believer. And which I just read. And you ought to go and look at that again. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. And here again, the word sure is more speaking about for yourself. It means firm, steadfast, secure. It's not talking about making your election sure for Jesus. Because Jesus needs to know whether or not you're saved or not. But he's saying for yourself that you got to test it. You got to check yourself and set yourself before you wreck yourself. Make sure that this thing is for real. So not only tested, but somebody say requested. Requested. What I love about grace is that you can request grace. You ask for grace. This is why the Bible makes it clear, even saving grace. Acts chapter 2 verse 21, when God draws you and puts a draw in your heart, Bible says in Acts 2 21, Peter's sermon, and it will come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's important for us to understand this. Calling on God. We call on God for saving grace. Many of us, and I'll even say this, who have not had or experienced the grace and the power of God in your life, it's because of your pride. And that's why he says that Christ has become of none effect to those of you who think you can be saved by your good doing. It's because of our pride, because we are unwilling to ask for help. This is why here there are two scriptures you need to write down. I'm only going to read one of them, but First Peter chapter 5 verse 5. That's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and James chapter 4, verse 6. James chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible makes it clear in both of these verses that God opposes the proud, but gives grace. Somebody say grace. He gives grace to the humble. So the person who is humble, who humbles themselves and is willing to say in the context of saving grace, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of salvation. It's that person that God is willing to give grace to. It's that person through who, who uh, when he draws and they cry out, it's that person even in the middle, in the middle of where we're at. You know, this is grace is something that we that we are able to cry out for. It's something that we're able to ask for, even as it pertains to when it is that we need help. I love the story in Mark chapter nine. The story in Mark chapter nine in verse 21 through 24, we find this guy, his son is demonized and is the devil throws him down and does all sorts of crazy stuff to him. And he's in a position where he is tired of what's happening with his son. The, the, Jesus' disciples couldn't even cast the devil out. And we find that in verse 21 through 24, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, and he says, it's often cast him into the fire, the devil, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible to the one who believes. But look at the father's response. He says, and immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help, help my unbelief. Hey, God gives grace and help to the humble. 
To the person who is not, that guy could have faked the funk and said, all things are possible to him to believe. So I believe, I believe, I believe, Jesus. I believe, do it now, do it now. But no, he says in that moment, oh, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. He cries out and he asks for belief. He asks for help. He asks for help. And there are many of you that have not been able to experience the strengthening power of God because God is waiting there to impart help to you but you have to request it will you be made whole now remember this script this song tis so sweet to trust in jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know thus saith the lord watch this jesus jesus how i trust him how I prove, so he professes, faith is professed. How I prove him or and or. Then he goes and says, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Now here's the end. Oh, for grace to trust him more. And it's this desire, this, this desire, there's a cry out. There's a cry out uh, for more grace. Grace to trust him more. Yes, I've proved him. Yes, I've seen him move mountains. Yes, all of this. But you, but if you and I are real, I'm in that place too. There are areas of my life where I'm like, I know you did it before, but are you going to do it again? I know you're capable of doing it again, but will you do it again? And I need grace to be able to trust him more. Can I tell you that a cry to God for grace isn't always coined with the word grace in it? It's often heard in our asking God for salvation, for strength, help, and the like. And God imparts his strengthening grace. Oh, I hope this is helping somebody today. God imparts his grace to us when it is that we need it. So not only is it to be tested and requested, it's to be imparted. What do I mean by this? Given to others. Because we are people who are a recipient of God's grace, we ought to be individuals who impart it to other people. You and I got to be graceful to others. In other words, because God has forgiven us, we are graceful to others by helping them. Leaders, we're graceful to others because of the grace that has been uh, that we have received to be able to carry out what God has called us to do. When we go and instead of holding what we know to ourselves and not passing it on to the next generation, we are graceful when we pass on and we mentor and we impart into other people so that they too can become everything that God has called them to and I love it I love it you know the last aspect of it not only requested and imparted but multiplied somebody say multiply and we find you know oftentimes there are greetings through scripture like grace and peace be unto you or like the Apostle Paul declares in, 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 uh, in, 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 he makes it clear and he says stuff like, May the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And it's important for us to understand this. Grace can be multiplied. His desire, his desire is for grace to be multiplied. And in the knowledge, in the knowledge of God. Through Jesus Christ. And this knowledge is not just gnosis. The, the Greek word gnosis. G-N-O-S-I-S. But when he says that we would know him. That grace would be multiplied to us. In our knowledge of God and Jesus. It's epignosis. It's ep epinosis rather. Epinosis. E-P-I-G-N-O-S-I-S. And the idea of it's not just a, a, a conceptual knowledge. Like how I started out by talking about Coretta Scott King and the information that I know about her. But I don't actually have intimacy. His desire is that we grow in grace as we understand, as we through knowledge of Christ. And this is why it's imperative that we study and that we read. This is important for us to pray. It's imperative for us to worship, it's imperative for us to request and ask God for grace because it multiplies in our lives. And the idea is that where we start as we behold Christ, I hear 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 say, but we all with open face or unveiled eyes 
As we behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord. When we pray, when we worship, when we study, when we sit under the preaching of God's word. And when we, when we do this and we hear it, he says that we are changed into the same image. From glory to glory. In other words, from one season to another season. As by the spirit of the Lord. And so it's important for us to understand that God's desire is not just for us to start with grace and leave it there, but his desire is for it to be multiplied and our relationship with him to be deepened. And that instead of being to a place where we're relying on ourselves, that we rely on him. And I leave you with this last thought in regards to Trusting in God and His grace, not just for salvation, but to accomplish the things that He has called us to. We know in Luke chapter 1 verse 26 and onward, that the greatest woman to live ever, Mary, mother of the Lord. So the Bible makes it clear on this Mother's Day that a message came to her. She would be impregnated by the Holy Spirit to bring into the earth Jesus, who would be the Savior of the world. And Mary is like, What on earth? I mean, and when you think about this, we often think about Mary as just some sort of inhuman person, and there are others who worship her, but we don't really think about what this means. Like, the angel comes and says to her, Yo, fam. You're about to give birth to a child that is just going to, that is destined to die. She has to carry this child and raise this child who, although he is God in flesh, is still her child. And she has a massive assignment on her life. And she asked the question in verse 34 of Luke chapter 1 to the angel How will this be since I'm a virgin? How is this going to happen? And he says to her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child that is born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. And verse 37 ricochets down the corridors of time to all of us who wonder how we're going to accomplish our calling. Wonder how we can be saved with all the mess that we have done. Wonder how it is that we're going to make it through this test. She says in verse 37, it's declared for nothing would be impossible with God. And look at Mary's response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so I leave you, I leave you with the thought, God doesn't ask you to do what he won't empower you to do. And so today, whatever it is you stand in need of, not only am I challenging those of you who are saying you're Christians to check yourself to see if you truly are believers. To check yourself and how it is that your relationship is with God to see if you truly are connected with Him. Make your calling and election sure. But I also want in this moment to encourage you who is a Christian for real and you're in some place right now and you're like, I need help. God has called me to do something or I'm in a challenge and I need help. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. As long as you lean on yourself, you can't make it. But when you trust in your God, he can give you the strength to be able to make it through. If that message blessed you, I want you right there in the chat. Come on, can you just go ahead and give the Lord some praise today for his saving, his keeping, his empowerment through grace. Glory to God. Now listen, in this moment, I would be remiss if I did not extend the saving grace of God to somebody. And so you might be somebody who's watching and you're like, Pastor Andrew, that's me. I'm somebody that's a mess. And I look at my life and I'm like, man, why would God want me? And you're like, man, I, I, 
You know, you might even be someone that's like, you know what? I've been going through the motions. You're, that was me you were talking to, pastor. And when Jesus shows up, he's going to be like, yo, I never knew you, fam. You were just casting out devils and stuff and printing up business cards, but you don't actually know me. And you're like, I actually want to begin a relationship with Christ. I'm tired of faking the funk. I'm tired when I look at my life. It's not a life that is actually connected to the Savior. But it's one that's connected to religion. And so whether you're someone who, has who doesn't have a relationship with God, you have never put your trust in His saving grace, but you are feeling compelled right now to put your trust in Him. Or you're someone that's been faking the funk and you're like, today is my day. I want to trust him for real. Might even be somebody that ran away from him and you're like, I want to re restore fellowship with him. Yeah, you've been running around in his hand. You've been running away from him, but he hasn't run away from you. And you want to stop running and receive his embrace. Jesus died for your sins and he makes it clear in John 3, 16 that if you believe in him, if you give your life to him, you will never perish. Never perish. But you will have eternal life. And even if you die in this earth, you go to be with Jesus forever. Oh, that's some good news. Somebody ought to be excited about that. And so today, Bible makes it clear, Romans 10 and 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from death, you will be saved. That's assurance. And so today, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how speckled your past is. Jesus did the work for you because he knew you couldn't do it for yourself and so today at our broadcast campus we are believing with you that if that person is you that you would be able to receive Christ's salvation today and restoration you can have that assurance that Jesus wants you to have that he indeed is yours so I'm getting ready to lead a prayer of commitment. And if you're like, that's me, I, this is my first time, or I, I, I want to do this for the, for the real reason. And not only this, you might be someone that's coming back home in, in fellowship with him. And you're like, this is me. On the count of three, right there where you are, I want you to really do some introspection. Look at yourself. Is your calling an election sure? Are you truly a Christian? Or are you one that needs to trust Christ? If that person is you, I want to include you in this prayer of commitment. And you're like, I need to come to Christ. I need to trust in him. On the count of three, right where you are, I see you in the spirit. Come on. Right now on the count of three, if that person's you, I want you to pop that hand up where you are. If you are even brave enough in the chat, go ahead and put that hands up emoji in the chat so our online hosts can see you there and they can, they can see that decision and they can connect with you. If you're brave enough and courageous enough in the chat and you feel compelled to do so. But here we go on the count of three. One, two, three. Come on, pop that hand up if that person is you. It's my first time today. I'm coming home, doing it for real. Praise the Lord. I see those hands. Glory to God by faith in Jesus' name. And here we go. And so I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to repeat it out loud. This prayer doesn't save. It's Jesus who saves. But this is a prayer that we pray to draw a line in the sand. Saying that we're responding to the gospel, to this good news I've shared. And we're making Jesus the Lord of our life. And so we say, God, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and rising from death with all power. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Make me new. And be with me now and forevermore and i thank you for doing it in jesus name amen praise the lord come on can we celebrate those who made decisions today come on can we celebrate those who made decisions for christ the bible makes it clear that heaven rejoices over one soul that comes to repentance and we believe that many of you have made this decision and will even in the rebroadcast and we celebrate that decision with you